I got to talk with several people and pray with several people in between services. So I did not uh, get to really thoroughly uh, work up a message, but I have uh, the great benefit of teachers that I fall back on and people who have uh, spoken great things into my life. And if you know me, that I like very much a lot of what Joel Beakey puts out. And I decided that I wanted to preach on Christian discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we've dealt with this topic and some of the scriptures that he deals with in depth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I want to give you uh, Joel Beakey in the Reformation Heritage Study Bible has an article titled Christian Discipleship. Um, I have preached on Christian discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Christ in that we take up our cross and follow him. We deny ourselves, amen, and we follow him, which is all three of these are commands that we deny ourselves is a command that we take up our cross is a command that we follow him is a command amen and if we're not willing to do these three things jesus says that you cannot be my disciple this is very emphatic language i want to read a couple places where we have this language and then i want to talk and even take a few points from joel's uh, from joel beakey's article but before we do, let us read Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 34 through the end of the chapter, okay? Um, and matter-of-factly, <clears throat> now let's do 34 and through 38, okay? So we begin at verse 34 in Mark chapter 9, and it says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 9. Is that not what you're reading? Oh, it's Mark 8. My, my apologies. Mark 8, 34. So. Let, 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 let's go to Mark 8, 34. I'm sorry. I looked at my paper. I'm in chapter 8, but the heading on the top of the page said 9 because there's one verse on my page that's 9. Okay, that was an easy mistake. Mark 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. Okay, now we'll start from the beginning. <laughs> now that everybody's on the same page, okay? And if it helps, it's on page 1429 in my Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's in King James, too. I'm reading it. Oh, you're getting close. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her study Bible must have more notes. <laughs> Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Let's start from the real Mark 8, 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, is that what all your Bibles say now? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Uh, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen? Is that what everybody got? But that's the, we're in the right spot now, right? Okay, so we have the beginning of this where he says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now this is emphatically what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you'll turn with me, and I'm going to make sure I get this exactly accurate, to Luke 14, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 26. When you get there, say amen. Amen. <clears throat> And if you look at verse 25, we can see that it's the same, the same teaching, okay? And Luke has a little more information for us here. Verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother and wife and children and brother or brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I want you to underline the fact that he says, if you're not willing to love me more than all of these, you cannot be my disciple, okay? In verse 27, he says, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple and if which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counteth the cost whether he has sufficient to finish it lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it all that behold it began to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Now watch. He told this parable. He told these two parables for a reason. He told this parable for a reason. And the reason is given in verse 33. So likewise. This so likewise is a very important statement. He's telling you like these parables. 
like a king that goes out to war and makes uh, ways out whether he has enough to, to, to go to war and or someone who's building a house if he has enough to finish it he's telling you that you must count the cost when you come to follow Christ so having faith in Christ and being a disciple of Christ you're counting the cost you're weighing out that you know that following him is going to cost you this much it's going to weigh upon you a burden of taking up your cross it's going to give upon you a burden of denying your own self it's going to cost you following him and not following the world amen so there's a price to be paid even in your following of Christ we call it in reformed circles the Christian duty the duty of the believer to live unto God amen this is what we understand it to be and he says so likewise whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath he cannot be my disciple now I want to take you, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to give you a little bit of transliteration and, you know, cross, uh, cross uh, parallel versions of the Bible of this, okay? We're doing Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now this word teach literally means in the Greek, make disciples. The act of teaching is the act of making disciples so if you're reading a King James like I am you must understand that this word teaching right here in the Greek is implicitly making disciples that's why the ESV the NASB the NIV translate this Greek word instead of teaching they translate it make disciples which is literally what this word teaching means. But in the King James era of English, this word teaching was understood that if you're teaching somebody something, they're learning from you as a disciple. They are being discipled by you, right? For a purpose, right? And in the rabbinic tradition, a teacher, a rabbi, taught his disciples or his followers to live as he lived amen so jesus gives us the great commission to teach others to live as christ has were uh, as ordained us to live how do we know that this is true let's keep reading go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost now watch what he says teaching them 
to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This understanding of discipling, once we read Mark and Luke, where he's saying, you can't be my disciple unless you do this, this, and this. He's laying out parameters. You have to be willing to deny yourself. You have to be willing to take up your cross, and you have to be willing to follow me. What does it mean to follow? Follow the teachings that he taught. Amen? So this is what it means to make disciples. Now, the modern Christian idea of this is very far from what biblical Christianity used to do, okay? Um, disciples agreed to follow the rabbinic, what their rabbi taught, right? They were uh, essentially agreeing, hey, if you want us to pray this way, we're going to pray that way. Notice how the disciples came to Jesus and said, will you teach us to pray as John is teaching his disciples to pray? Right? And that what they asked him in Luke? What did he say? He said, if you, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen? So we understand that this is, they're agreeing that this is going to be the model for our prayer life. And the things that Jesus lined out here for us in this prayer, that's the things that we're going to pray for. Right? And people get all stuck in the mud and they go, oh, you're just being heretical or, you know, you're just being a, a cult leader or you're just being, a, 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 you know, a, one of those stoic, uh, uh, what, what's the word, Pharisee kind of Christians. If you're just going to pray the Lord's Prayer, I challenge you to pray the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis and see if it doesn't change what you think is important when you pray. Because if you think about all the things that he tells you to pray, first of all, who are we talking to? Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You see, our prayer life most of the time in modern Christianity starts out with our wants and our needs and what we want and not what God wants and not what God desires to do in us and through us. Amen? I think we need to get back to praying the way that Christ taught us to pray. We're so far from it. We're so far from how Christ taught his disciples to pray in different situations. How he taught them to tarry in prayer. Right? On the night in, in, in the most troubled time of Jesus' life, what does he do? He prays. Are we doing that? When we're faced with trials and tribulations, is it our first instinct to go before the Father? Or is it our first instinct to go, Oh God, what are you doing? And then we call another brother and sister. And, oh, Lord, man, I'm really going through it now. I don't know what God's doing in my life. But he, oh, man, I'm really going through. Instead of praying and really seeking God. And hardly ever 
do you hear Christians praying like Jesus prayed in the midst of circumstances that were troubling and weighing heavy upon him? He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. How many of us really look at our circumstances in such a way that when we are troubled, in, if we're beset by people who talk about us, if we're beset by hard circumstances at work or that the co-worker that everybody has a nickname for, maybe they even make songs up about them, okay? And, and they get on our nerves and they test us and they try us. Maybe when we're in the middle of that is when we ought to pray and say, God, I don't know what you're doing with this person in my life, but I sure am asking that your will would be done in my life. Because if I had my way, God, I'd put a pop knot on their head. Right? you got to be a little older to understand that one, Mike, like an, another year and you'd get it. No. But that's... The kind of thing, we don't, we don't look at it as opportunities for us to grow in our faith, but that's exactly what trials do for us. They help strengthen our faith. The testing of your faith brings patience. With, with, without the testing, there will be no growth. Without the trial, there will be no Without the fire, without the fire of tests and trials, you're going to be left with all kinds of impurities. You're going to be left with all kinds of fool's gold, and you will not be tried in the fire. You'll not be molded and shaped into the image of Christ without the trying of your faith, as in fire. Fire purifies gold. It purifies precious metals. Because when only when it goes in the fire can you get the gold separated from all the other minerals. And then you can scoop off all that other minerals and you can throw it away. That's why our faith has to be tried by fire, by trials, by tribulation. Because only in the testing of your faith will you produce patience. And only with patience will you have endurance. And only with endurance will you have hope. And only when you have hope will you not be ashamed. That's what Peter says. Kyle, I'm praying for them allergies. They're whooping all over you right now. <laughs> now I'm going to get to this little um, uh, article that I have in this Bible here. He says here, in the middle of his public ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ takes time in Mark 8, 34 to spell out what he demands of those who follow him. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These words are addressed to all Christians in every time and in every place. Thus, they are still in great force today. What is a disciple, he says? The Greek word means one who learns, especially one who learns by inquiry and by use or practice of what he is taught. According to Abbott Smith, a manual for Greek lexicons of the New Testament. Christ said, learn of me in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. 
All who belong to Christ must enroll in his school and learn from him, receiving his doctrine and testimony and conforming themselves to his example of faith and godliness. Is this not true? Is this not Christ's expectation of his followers? He goes on, he says, learners need teachers. Can I get amen? Christ has appointed teachers for his church, namely the apostles and their successors, the ministers of the word of God. See Acts 6, 4, 1 Timothy 5, 17. As servants of Christ, these earthly teachers must defer to him, Christ. And the goal of their instruction is and should be that Christ be formed in those under their care. Galatians 4.19. And I would like to turn to Galatians 4.19 because I found this uh, reference very intriguing. In Galatians 4 verse 19, Paul says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Now he goes on to say many other things, admonishing them that they're not under the law, and they don't need to be under the yoke of the law, but they've been saved by God's grace, right? But the fact is that every pastor, every elder, every teacher in the church, he should desire earnestly desire that the outcome of his preaching is that Christ be formed in those who hear the gospel message. That Christ be formed in those who already call themselves Christians. That Christ would be conformed in them to a greater degree. I say it another way. When he prayed for the Ephesians, he said, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in the faith, together with all the saints, would be able to comprehend what is the height and the depth and the length of the breadth of the love of God and to be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen? That should be the goal of the preaching and the teaching of the church. Not condemnation, not hateful language. Now, there is time for, for correction. There's time for, for uh, uh, rebuking. But there's also time for admonishment and for teaching. For lovingly bringing people into fellowship with Christ. But there must first be a willingness on their part to deny their self. To take up their cross and to follow him. I'm going to go back to this article. He says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And he cites 2 Corinthians 4, 5. What should Christ's disciples learn? And he, he cites three things. First, they must deny themselves to say no to their self and its demands. Self-denial begins with the recognition that our problems in this life result from consulting our own will, from going our own way, and from living for our own ends. Christ must show us 
that to be self-centered and self-serving is self-destructive. This culture of self, this, in this culture of self, it is the outworking of our sinful nature which we are born with. We must turn our backs on it in order to follow Christ. Self-denial is so basic in the Christian life that Christ includes it as the third petition of his model prayer. Thy will be done. Amen. Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen. The third petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. So he, he notes this quote from the Heidelberg Catechism. He says, Thy will means grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will which is only good. That's the Heidelberg Catechism, question 124. Uh, Kyle Prime knows it like the back of his hand, right? Eh. Second, he says disciples must learn to take up their cross. And he notes that this is a positive pronoun, meaning you have an active part in taking up your cross. And he notes this. That you're not taking up Christ's cross because none of us can bear Christ's cross. None of us can do what Christ did on our behalf. Amen. So the cross that he says we must take up, and I want to look at this. He said it is our duty to submit, uh, excuse me, the cross appointed for each one of us to bear None of us could do what Christ did for us when he went to the cross and died for our sins. Our duty is to submit to God's will for our lives as Christ did. Even if the burden is heavy and the way is hard and the end is death, cross-bearing is grievous to us. As it was grievous to Christ, we must learn to pray as he prayed in Gethsemane. Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Matthew 26, verse 42. Finally, the third point he makes. Disciples must learn to follow Christ by living, by faith, walking in love, and doing good to all for even hereunto we are called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow in his footsteps first peter chapter 2 verse 21 Christ left us an example of this last step of living and following him Jesus suffered the little children to come unto him Jesus befriended the harlot and the sinner. Jesus came to the meek and to the lowly and preached the good news, which is what every one of us as Christians, as Christ followers, as disciples of Christ must do. We must deny ourselves. We must take up the specific cross that is meant for us. What is the cross that Christ has designated for you to carry is it 
the fact that you are been born a pastor's child? And is it your burden to have to help in the endeavors of the church? Is it that you got bequeathed a pastor friend 20 years ago and, and God has called you to bear him as your burden, okay? Is it the, the burden of a, a, a pastor who, who uh, dropped the ball in so many areas now coming to the understanding of what it really means to lead a pastor, lead and pastor a flock of God to really love them and care for him, care for them, to do it in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, and never once get recognition for it. Is that the cross that you're called to bear? What is the cross that you're called to bear? Is it to, to help these churches and fellow ministers and be an encouragement to them? Somebody, somewhere, all of us have a cross that we have to bear. And we must learn to identify it. And we must learn to love it. We must learn to long to fulfill the purpose that God has put us here for. St. Andrew, when he was going to the cross, church records say that Andrew went to the cross and his countenance was not changed. He was not fearful. He was not low, he was not low in his spirits. But as he approached the cross, he wept. And he said, O oh, cross, most longed and desired for. I have longed to embrace thee as my Lord did. You see, he knew that he was called to give up his life, to lay it down for Christ in the most real way. You realize that there are Christians all over the world that are doing this very thing today. They're being called to pay the ultimate price to lay down their life. They love not their life even unto the death. Why? Because they knew this was God's cross for them to bear. Paul tells us all throughout the end of the New Testament that he had to go to Rome. And he, he wrote his last letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy and he said, I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. But I have ran a good race. I fought a good fight. And I kept the faith. You see, he knew his cross ended in Rome with his head being severed from his body. Now, we don't always have that kind of dramatic cross that we have to carry. But what if it is I work in an airplane factory and I have to witness over and over and over with my co-workers and none of them come to Christ and they all mock me. But one day, I'm going to receive a crown of life. And I'm going to see the reward that was laid up for me in heaven. What is the cross that you have to bear? To follow 
Joel Beakey continues, he says, to follow means to accompany someone as a fellow traveler. As Christians, our great joy, our greatest joy and privilege is to live in communion with Christ, who is our living head. The psalmist Asaph knew that he was never alone in his sufferings. In Psalm 73, verse 23 and 24, Asaph says, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand, or by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. The call to discipleship is an essential part of the gospel proclamation. So you see, when we go out and do as Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, 20 say, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey whatsoever he's commanded us. You see, when we go out there, we have to lay the same uh, uh, stipulations on following Christ as Christ laid on his disciples. Christ called the multitude to him, didn't he? It said when he called the crowd to him and his disciples, that's what Mark said. And in Luke he says, and he, when all the multitude were gathered about him, that's when he said, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He lays this charge down. If you are not willing to deny yourself, if you're not willing to take up your cross, if you're not willing to follow me, he says, you cannot be my disciple. Final few sentences of this article. Joel Beakey says, Christ Church is not merely an organization of like-minded people. Rather, as members of one body of Christ, all contribute to the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The goal is to grow up in him who is all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Disciples must grow in, the love, in their love for Christ and for one another. According to Christ's rule in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that you love, that the love that you have one for another. The reality of these statements, and I love how Joel Beakey makes three points of these three things that Christ says. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Surely this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I think the first one is probably the hardest thing for any of us to do is to deny ourselves. Because it's so easy for us to get sidetracked by what we want to do and what we like to do and what's pleasing for us to do. I'm telling you today I had two conversations that I'm not sure I really wanted to have, but I knew I had to have them. And had I done what I wanted to do, I would not have addressed them. I would not have talked about them. I would not have had the conversations if I did what I wanted. But knowing the gravity of the weight of what God has laid on me in bearing my cross, 
I can't for one moment shirk the responsibility that I'm called to have as an elder of this church to lead and pastor other people. And I didn't do it out of apprehension. I did it out of love because I love the people I talk to. I love the people in this room. And I want to do just exactly what God has called me to do. I don't always succeed. I sometimes give in to my own lustful desires of laziness and apathy and want to do my own thing and go my own way, which is what our self-centered nature tends to want to do. Self-denial is so, so hard, so difficult. But I'm telling you what, the more I study Scripture, the more I understand that self-control, a sound mind, King James says, is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible, Paul says that each of us ought to know how to possess our own soul with all gravity. Amen? What does that mean? We must be self-controlled. We must purposefully, deliberately deny ourselves. Purposefully, deliberately take up the cross that has been designated for us. Purposefully, deliberately live our life for Christ. Amen? Now, I know it's not easy. I know it's not hard. But this is what it means for Christian discipleship. And when we're discipling people, we don't need to let them uh, uh, wonder what is the expectation of God, which is kind of what we've done in the last 30 or 40 years. We just kind of let people kind of figure out what they think is their obligation to the church or to Christ, right, or to each other, and not really look at the Bible and what Jesus says is our obligation to him and to each other. Amen? If we really believe we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love people, we should be concerned with what that looks like and how we're supposed to do it. Amen? Do we take responsibility that God truly expects, longs, and desires for us to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind? And do we take personal responsibility that God truly wants us to love our neighbor as ourself, to, to love our enemy, to pray for them that despitefully use and persecute us. Those are the things that are called, we're called to do by Christ. Amen? So I think this is very important, very helpful for us when we go out and make disciples what does that look like? What kind of expectation are we setting for them? Are we setting a, a, a gospel out to them that's just fat, naked angel babies on clouds with harps singing kumbaya and everything's going to be great for the rest of our life? Or are we setting the actual gospel message in front of them, saying that there is a Savior of the world? His name is Jesus. He's come to offer you eternal life. And, and, and it's free, and all you have to do is believe in him. But once you believe in him and you follow him, you must count the cost and truly 
absolutely deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Because that's what it means. Amen? That's what we, we need, maybe a refresher course when we're telling people, look, this Christian life is worth it. But it's not easy. Amen? The way to hell is, is easy. Everybody's going that direction. The road is wide and the way is broad and many. But straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads unto life. And few there be that find it. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a widow who lost a coin. She first lights a lamp and sweeps her house and searches diligently to find that. Now God is the one who searched diligently to find us. Through time and space, eternity, circumstance, God sought me out, found me. Far be it for me to when I've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ to just say, well, thanks for doing all that for me, God, but I don't want to do anything for you. What a pitiful state is the heart that thinks that way. Let us not think that way. Amen. Let us be zealous to live our life for Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word, for the reading of your word. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for, for Pastor Joel Beakey and all the work that he has done in, in helping others understand your word, God. Thank you, Lord, that he is devoted to living after Christ, to teaching others about Christ. Lord, thank you. For Kyle and his steadfast uh, leadership in this church and coming alongside me as another elder here. Lord, I thank you that you are doing a great work in this church in centering and sharpening our focus on what your word teaches us to do as we live our lives for Christ. Lord, we pray that as we go forth to make disciples, Lord, that we would preach the gospel with love, with grace, and with boldness. And that, that as we preach, God, that you would save as many as could be saved and as many as would be saved. Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have upcoming, Lord, as we Get ready for this work day and the day of outreach, the day of reaching out with other churches to the community around us. We pray, God, that your blessing would be upon it. Lord, that you would bless the work of our hands, the meditation of our heart, and the fruit of our lips. That you would receive all the glory, and that you would build your church in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.